Welcome to The Waggle, the official podcast of the Canadian Football League. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we come out to Mosaic. Um, it's always, always live there, and it's always a fun environment to play in and a hostile one. And, you know, there's nothing better than shutting up 30,000 fans in, in, in their building, and you know, that's what I'm aiming to do. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of The Waggle Podcast brought to you by us here at the CFL and CFL.ca myself donovan bennett and man what a weekend of football we had mark's labor day weekend did not disappoint we had a couple beatdowns specifically in the east montreal is back on track ottawa is back struggling hamilton looks like a title threat once again so they went toe-to-toe with the argonauts the return match of that certainly will be fascinating this friday in toronto but out west with some close, close games and some great performances. Trevor Harris dimes all over the place. James Wilder Jr. running over people all over the place. It's crazy to think that he was retired and now he looks like maybe the best back in the league. Speaking of best in the league, I thought Cody Fajardo was clearly running away with potentially the MOP. But we're going to have to put some respect on Zach Caleros' name throwing and scrambling all over the place dimes or as matt dunnigan says sling nasty throws it rolls off the tongue better when he says it but i love the term add it to your football lexicon the point is it was a great week of football and we've got another one set up for you as we're starting to see some races shape in the west and the east and who better to break that all down as someone who is bouncing back and forth from west to east, from continent to continent. Claire Hanna, who many know as a CFL reporter for quite some time. She's in Regina right now, but she's doing a great job on TSN Telecast covering the entire league, already a go-to sideline reporter and already a go-to storyteller. Maybe it's the fact that she's a former athlete and she's been in the arena like many of the athletes and coaches she's covering. What has she found fascinating about not just covering the CFL game and its return, but also the Olympics? Claire Hanna is up next on The Waggle. So on The Waggle, we love to talk to great storytellers, great reporters, and talk to great athletes. And on this edition, we get to do both. Claire Hanna joins us, and I'm afraid to ask where you're joining us from because you've been Carmen San Diego, just all over the world. You did such an amazing job during the Olympics, and I want to get into that later. And I don't want to say it was your coming out party because you've done great work for a long time, but for many people, it was uh, their first exposure in a large way to you. But you've done such a great job on the CFL for so long. Thank you for, for joining us. Thank you so much, Donovan. That's like the kindest intro. And you know what? I'm joining you from the city that rhymes with fun, Regina. Are we allowed to say that? I think we're allowed to say that. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm in my. I'm just in my home for like what feels like the first time in forever, but hanging out with my dog. So yeah, I'm in Regina and a stone's throw away from Mosaic Stadium. Well, let's talk about uh, Mosaic Stadium. And before we even get to the Labor Day Classic or the upcoming Banjo Bowl, just... What has it been like to have football back, to have fans back in stadiums? I know it's been a long wait for many people across the country, but I suspect in Saskatchewan it's been especially long. I I tell this story all the time, so I apologize to our listeners who've heard it more than once. 
But I remember going on a, a radio show in Regina in the off season during the pandemic. And the conversation was, what is your favorite special teams play in the preseason and callers <laughs> were phoning in right because it was around the time that the preseason would have happened that's the level of interest you have in uh, the city that rhymes with fun so all of that that pent up angst and emotion and energy that's been built over such a period of time what has it been like to see that released for some home games well it's been amazing and I think we're spoiled here in Saskatchewan because obviously football is just the creed here. Everybody talks it, lives it, breathes it. Um, one, It's funny, I was walking my dog in the middle of the pandemic and there was this house with a whole bunch of rider flags outside of it and it said believe because they were trying to send like good juju towards the CFL like, yeah, this is happening. And a lot of signs, you know, just like around my neighborhood, not signs, but just people with, with rider flags and kind of like, like keep your spirits high, you know, like there's obviously the healthcare worker hearts, but then there was also these like CFL things, like let's believe. So that was really cool to see that and feel that. But I missed the home opener because I was at the Olympics, which was really sad. Or, you know, there was like two sides to that coin. I wanted to be here, but I was obviously pumped to be at the Olympics. So my first game back was when they were playing um, Hamilton and it was really really amazing to be on the sidelines again and to hear like the crowd right when the riders come out of the tunnel and I take videos every time and that time I took a video it was just like all the hairs on the back of my neck and my arms were standing on end because it was I had just all the goosebumps it was so neat Part of me was also like, okay, I hope everybody's safe and there's no COVID going around the stadium because, you know, we're still in that weird in-between phase of like, are we in a fourth wave? But it was, it was really special. And I, yeah, like I had tears in my eyes, kind of like Cody Fajardo running out of the tunnel. But as a sideline reporter, we're allowed to get emotional too. You have been able to talk to Cody a lot about what this opportunity means and what Labor Day means. And he, for starting quarterback is surprisingly candid like i just feel like he says whatever is at the top of his head what was this opportunity in this classic like for guys like him on the team yeah okay he's so fan engaged and i think for a, a player like him who really likes to talk to the fans and do things in the community this has probably been really tough for him given their restrictions but um with some of those possibly um being alleviated as of september 17th he's really jacked but he's he like everybody in the cfl they're so quintessential when they say things like it's just a game we're preparing like it's any other game but they do know there's this buzz and they do know that it's going to be the loudest weekend of the year except for playoffs and he you know leading up to this they were coming off of a bye week and i think that was some concern for them because they didn't know how the team was going to react and they didn't have a great game but i don't think that it took away from how special the weekend was and and um they were choked though they couldn't run into pill country because in 2019 when they won on that walk-off field goal um you know brett lowther and a couple players john ryan all just like right away went into pill country tried to grab beers from the cheap rider fans couldn't um and they knew that if there was a, a, a win like that this year that that wasn't going to be possible but they didn't win so it's not like they would have gone either way you know <laughs> 
and you mentioned they didn't win so let's get into the game and the upcoming game the, the banjo bowl and everyone was circling you know that game all, all, all four games had real implications given it was an abbreviated season but everyone was circling that game in terms of who is going to stake their claim as the best team in the league obviously the riders came in flying undefeated and from afar just scrolling hashtags on social media the feeling in Rider Nation went from plan the parade, it's coming home <laughs> to um, you know talk me off the ledge. What what has it been like? You know, a couple days removed from the actual game. Yeah, it's so funny. The day after, so Monday, um, which was like Labor Day. Um, my partner and I went to Lumsden, which is just, just outside of Regina for this, um, like duck derby thing where basically they like really sell these ducks, um, into a river and the one that crosses the finish line first, like that person wins $10,000 or something like that. But, um, there was the writer's pep band was there and the mood was kind of a little bit more solemn. And I can't describe that because all of Saskatchewan just lives and breathes with the success of the riders. And so while it was this great, like little small town thing, there was just, you know, I think people were kind of upset about the day before. And especially because the riders didn't match the level of the bombers. I think you saw a bad performance out of the team. I, Cody Fajardo after the game said, we're not a bad football team. We just had a bad football game. And I think that that can be true because the way we've seen them perform throughout this season so far to get to three and zero has been pretty clean. And it was unfortunate that they 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 couldn't really rise to the occasion. And yes, the Bombers are amazing, and maybe their defense did some crazy things to Cody Fajardo that he hasn't seen before. But I think we all could see that Fajardo wasn't really, you know, on target with his passing. He for me again it was a month but was playing at such a crazy better than mop type level 78.9 completion percentage yeah uh you know which is unheard of only one int to four tds and then obviously you know on sunday the three ints and only completed 58.9 percent of his passes I, I was you know a bit surprised at the struggles that they had offensively against winnipeg yeah. but i was actually more surprised at how confident the quotes were from Winnipeg throughout the week, talking about the fact that the Riders maybe <laughs> hasn't played anybody. And then post-game, Willie Jefferson talking about the fact that the Bombers have the best fans uh, in the league. Were you surprised at what you were hearing leading up to the game and then afterwards? I wasn't surprised. I loved it. I thought, you know, Andrew Harris talking about shutting up 30,000 fans here. I, I just think that that's what sports is all about. And... When you're a team that doesn't get lots of media coverage, you're always saying those things. So I give props to all the players for saying them out in the public eye. And, you know, maybe they're trying to stir the pot. Maybe they're trying to, like, rile up the riders. It clearly didn't work. Or, or it did work if that's what they're intending. But I thought, I thought that would have added fuel to the fire for the riders and they would have kind of wanted to up their game a little bit more. But, um, I, you know, yeah, I don't think it surprised me. I'm happy it happened. And I, I want to see a little bit more trash talk. As do I. Uh, I I would say I want to see more talk from you, but I don't think that's possible. You said work. Uh, all you do is work. When do you sleep? Whether it's <laughs> volleyball, obviously football, hockey, curling. You're going all over the globe covering. Donovan, all I'm making types it for sports. lost time. I'm making it for lost time in the pandemic. Okay, you know, in a small market like this where we didn't have any CFL and there's no NHL teams, and and you know, we are just covering 
like pandemic news, it's okay. I'm welcoming the change. Give it to me. Give me all the sports. Got it. The hardest working person in our industry, in, in our country. I want to talk about the Olympics though, because again, kudos, you did such a great job and I was so excited for you to have the opportunity, but really to have the recognition that you had earned the opportunity. But one thing that, you know, I heard from you really struck me is that you wanted to make volleyball a little bit more mainstream, make it consumed maybe by a wider amount of people you played clearly at a high level but but why was that a specific goal for you to think of the sport at large with that opportunity not just yourself yeah well and i i kind of almost want to challenge you donovan to me volleyball is really mainstream it's i i would argue well i i could almost like back this up but like internationally more people watch volleyball or play volleyball than hockey and definitely than American football. And it's unfortunately that in Canada and North America, it's not recognized as much in mainstream, you know, television, but like so many young women and boys play volleyball. And when you get to university, if, if you're not playing university, there's nowhere to go after in Canada, unless you're playing the national team or unless you know about professional leagues overseas. And so to me, it's like, well, why don't we give all these like thousands of kids in Canada who play an opportunity to watch the best on TV. And it's unfortunate to me that it only, they only get that chance every four years during the Olympics. Like I only watched volleyball before I played national team. So I played team Canada. I had never seen high level volleyball on TV except for the Olympics in 1996 and maybe a bit in 2004. And that's ridiculous to be playing on the national team and not watch like international level volleyball aside for two times, you know? So I guess to me, it was super important to just do a good job so that hopefully we can, you know, push the envelope. Maybe, maybe there's going to be some national sports networks that want to put it on television a bit more. ESPN in the States, they'll do college coverage. They've done a little bit of beach volleyball college coverage, but I, I would just like to see a little bit more of it. Well, the funny thing is, is that once you start watching you can't stop. Whether it was the men indoor, or the women outdoor, uh, from a Canadian perspective, these Olympics, the volleyball matches were so thrilling and so fun uh, to watch. So to your point, you'd love to see more of that in between um, Olympics. But you played nationally. How is this possible? How is it yeah, possible that you're a, a walk-on? Oh, you get in your second year. But then you become the best libero in the conference, the best player on your team, and and play for the national team. How how does how does that happen? Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's a great question. You did your homework. Um, I was really stubborn. I just wanted to. I thought I was good enough to be on the team at UBC, and the head coach there, Doug Reimer, cut me in my second year, and then I played on the JV squad, and um, I. I just thought I had this skill and I, he wasn't noticing me for the player that I was. And I just wasn't willing to give up. And it's so embarrassing to say this, but when he cut me, I kind of refused to stop coming to practices. And he, he made me a team manager, but I was like, I would show up to practices and he expected me to write a newsletter, but I was coming in like my spandex and my Jersey and just practicing. He's like, are you kidding me? Like, do you not understand what getting cut means? <laughs> and I, I just, I, I, at the time I was 19 years old, so much of my identity was wrapped up in volleyball. And 
eventually I got my chance. But I think that going through, honestly, I practiced for three years before dressing for my first game. So it's like, maybe I can compare myself to Mitch Picton, who's with the Riders. You know, he was on the practice roster for how long? A lot of people thought he would give up. But I just had the belief that one day I was going to get my chance. And when I got that chance, I was going to rock it. And the first time I went in, I did just that. I like went up, got a kill right away. got another kill, got another kill. And um, I was a libero, but at the time I was kind of playing a couple positions because I just wanted to figure out how I would make myself known on that team or get my chance. And then eventually I switched to libero because I didn't have a very good vertical. You know, I, honestly, I was better suited as a defensive player, but um, I just didn't want to give my coach an option to say no to me when eventually I got that chance. I was like, I will be excellent to make sure he cannot take me off the floor. And somehow I succeeded in doing that. <laughs> I love that story. I love that story. I'm here for it. And I, when I look at your personal story, I always wondered, you know, someone who, you know, has been cut, certainly has been a star of a team, but also has dealt with adversity due to injury do those personal experiences allow you to relate to players in different scenarios and maybe, you know, get an understanding of their sensibilities and garner some information from them because of it? Oh, 100%, without a doubt. And um, like my lung collapsed when I was with Team Canada. So that put me out for a couple weeks or I, I, maybe months. And then I rehabbed from that. But I honestly feel like we've, you know, as an athlete who played at a whole bunch of different levels but who's also been an athlete since they were like six years old I've had a buffet of different scenarios occur to me and I feel like in most scenarios with players I can relate to that whether that's being cut traded to a team whatever and I never bring it up with them because I I don't like when reporters make it about themselves in the question like oh so when I was playing this one year this happened but I just try to I, I don't know I just think it kind of it, it, not a knock to reporters who do that. That's just not the style I'm going to approach it with. But I hope in the way I ask a question, it's authentic enough that they can kind of realize, oh, maybe she's been through something like this. Um, no, no athlete or like CFL player has ever sort of questioned my authenticity and knowing where I'm coming from. But I just try to ask a question that I would want have wanted to be asked or that I know is going to get the right information out there given the scenario, if that makes sense. No, it totally makes sense. And, you know, I, again, love your story personally because, like you, I'm a former youth sports athlete, not nearly as good, um, but transitioned to media and used some of those experiences to apply them to trying to climb a depth chart in, in broadcasting f for you. Uh, not that you needed the same level of patience as Mitch Picton, but were you able to apply your experience trying to make it at UBC to your experience trying to make it and make a career for yourself in broadcasting? Yeah, I honestly think anybody who's just dealt with adversity um, sometime in their life, you know, whether that's getting cut from a team, whether you've been told you shouldn't be good for a job, um, gives you a greater perspective of when you get there. You know, it's like you're not entitled. And I think that entitlement, I was talking about this with my partner the other day. It's just the worst thing because it gets, it gives you too much confidence. Like you're overconfident. You don't know the value of hard work. And when you've dealt with those adverse times where you've been taken down a couple notches, I think that those are when you get the most perspective and most passion for your job because you know that it's not given. It's, you've had to work hard for it. 
Jake Mayer has worked hard for his opportunity. Goes from the practice roster, and quite frankly, someone who many Canadians didn't want to see because they're hoping that they were going to see a Canadian starting uh, yeah. in the spot of Bo Levi Mitchell, or they were hoping they were going to see Bo Levi Mitchell, uh, but has just taken that opportunity, similar to you, and run with it. You were there working the game for his first uh, opportunity oh, yeah. on, the, on the big stage. What was that like and what have you made of his you know ascension yeah and donovan i i want to back it up i have to admit i was one of those people that was hoping michael o'connor got it because he's a ubc guy and he's canadian you know i was like i'd love to have that ubc connection but um on but also it's easy to step back and be like okay i'm not the coach i'm not deciding who's starting right but um the first time i spoke with jake mayor i could tell that he was just a professional just very took this job seriously um knew that he had an opportunity and he wanted to do the best with it and i really think we're seeing a star in the making i know he's only got one win so far but um the ability in that first start so he goes out there they run the ball to kadeem carry a few times the next series, I think it's an interception right away. The next series, another interception. And he's just like, you're, you're kind of thinking, oh gosh, things are falling apart fast. For him to flip a switch and then go out and start marching the ball down the field, getting a touchdown, like that's unbelievable in your first start to do that. Like I can't, I don't know how he had that mental toughness in him and that resilience because I think we were all wondering when's Dave Dickinson going to make the switch. So I give him massive credit for that. And you could just see his, I was on the sidelines for his second game too, when he was in Winnipeg, um, his confidence has grown. And in, in Winnipeg, he goes 16 for 16 completions. I think in the first half, um, almost leads them to a victory, but he, he, I'm very impressed by him for his age and even just how little CFL experience he's got. Like he's only, this is his first training camp, you know, it's, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, and you know when you consider the amount of drops he had uh, versus Edmonton, uh, those numbers could be even more gaudy. Unfortunately, though, for him and for the Stamps, his play hasn't really translated to wins. You mentioned it; they only have one win on this season in a very competitive West. It's getting late, somewhat early, and over his shoulder, you got the fact that. Bo Levi Mitchell has now been cleared to practice, and certainly Bo as a competitor. I'm sure he wants to get back in there. We've had, seems like since the beginning of the season, a question of who is starting in what scenario, who's practicing, who's not practicing. Is there some gamesmanship going on with, you know, who the starter is? What do you make of the situation in Calgary and how difficult has it been for you to deem, you know, what the depth charts are really reflecting, given this is a new day in the CFL where we're asking for more information around injury reports and depth charts. Yeah, that's a that's a tricky one. And I think we could even extend that to like Michael Riley and Nathan Rourke, right? The un uncertainty there. But it's really tough with the, you know, the single game betting and you need to be honest because at the end of the day, sometimes as an athlete, you just don't know if you're ready. Like, you know, you, you need to step onto the court or the field in this case and like get a bit of a warm up in to know if you're really ready or you need to, you might practice, but in football practice is not like how you play with the tackles and stuff. So, um, I guess I just trust that coaches are being honest. And, um, in this case, 
I think Bo Levi Mitchell, we know he's going to be a competitor, but we also, I know that he, he knows, I, I think watching Jake, I don't think he ever has to be really worried about his role because Jake is probably in a similar case where he's like, yeah, I know that Bo Levi's the dude here and I'm going to keep his seat warm and do as much as I can while he's out, but I'm willing like to give it up afterwards. I think, I think that any logical player should do that, but I don't think Bo Levi is going to push it until he knows he can play. He's been injured before. He's, you know, they're a pro's pro. I hope that answers your question. That's sort of my mindset on all of that. No, it does. And it's just crazy. The conveyor belt of quarterbacks that they've just produced, like they have a factory of them in Calgary, whether it's obviously Bo, who was a backup there. We've seen, you know, obviously what, what Jake is doing. Nick Arbuckle went and decided to run a team. But before that, Drew Tate and Henry Burris and Dave Dickinson and on and on and on. It, it's uh, crazy going back to the Jeff Garcia and Doug Flutie days. And this is a quarterback-driven league. You've seen... The energy in Regina now that you know they've got a, a franchise quarterback, but I want to tap into some of your natural expertise and one of my overarching thoughts about the league is you know we, we talked about some of the opportunities to get volleyball as a bigger part of the conversation in North America. And I wonder how you continue to grow the pie that is the CFL and get more people, quite frankly like me and you, young people engaged with the game, loving going to a game. And it's it's different, obviously, in Saskatchewan than it is across the, the country. But you have a master's in business. So <laughs> I will tap into that mindset, and maybe less so your, your poli-sci uh, education background, unless you want to predict who's going to win the election for us. But, I should have grabbed my a, old textbooks for this. I didn't know yeah, we were going down totally. this way. No, <laughs> no. Well, but from a business perspective, how do you continue to grow the league for people who are our age and of our sensibilities? Oh, that's a great question. I've thought about this. Um, well, I, I always like to look to leagues that have done it successfully. And I think about the NBA and the WNBA. And one thing is, I think, and I, I don't think we make football stuffy. I think it's pretty cool. It's casual. There's a lot of conversations open about it. I think you ought to make it accessible in an open space for everybody to enjoy. That is like every race, gender, you know, every creed. Um, and I think in the past, maybe it didn't feel as accessible to women. I think the CFL is doing a better job of that. I, I was even talking to um, another reporter, um, like when the CFL puts their merchandise out, I think there's a great opportunity to make it pretty cool. But right now, if I'm a woman and I go and I want to find like a cool like rider jersey. I think there's just like the one pink one, you know? It's not like there's some great fitted ones or some great merchandise. But to me, that's a way of building a brand and that can be done across the CFL. Um, but the accessibility one, you know, is this, is this, can everybody access it at a reasonable price? You know, what are the ticket costs? Um, can you bring your family there? Can you go with buddies after work and not spend like a thousand dollars? And I don't know what the answers are across the board to this, but can you get bums in seats, but make it like a fun night? That's, that's the, that's the biggest thing. And, um, I don't know how you do that. Maybe some of those ideas work, but I'm not sure. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think the, you hit the nail on the head with some good thoughts and I never thought of the Jersey 
part of the conversation like you did in terms of having you know gear and like go get like a fashion person like you know how drake started working with the raptors and all of a sudden like the raptors are the coolest thing ever like right. you kind of need to have some brand association as well um but also like i want maybe i want to wear like one of those cute little sweaters that has like a zipper down the middle that's like that it can wear with you know like crop top jeans or something like those things like make it cool like make me want to wear stuff like Erin Andrews did with the NFL. She's got that female clothing line. Like those yes. are tap into markets that you haven't tapped into. And I'm not saying it's all by fashion, but that's not going to hurt. Sure. Uh, I believe there was a, a woman's related line tied to the Grey Cup a couple years ago, but not something that you're describing that has been ongoing. And I, I've, since you are, you know, the Erin Andrews of Canada at this point. No, that's maybe, not. No, no, maybe, no. Sarah Orleski maybe. with 100% would be that. I'm just Claire Hannah. I'm <laughs> just Claire Hannah. Well, <laughs> being just Claire Hannah is certainly uh, good enough, but maybe you and Sarah get together and create a line for the CFL. I'd be yeah. here for it. I'd be making many purchases for the ladies in my life. And and before I let you go, the last thing is, you, and you say you're just Claire Hannah, but Claire Hannah is a bit of a CFL brand now, so much so that CFL fans are claiming you, wanting to take pictures of you when you're on the Olympics. They're, they're rooting you on on social media and cheering for you. It's almost like, oh, yeah, there's our girl. <laughs> love that she's doing big things what has this been like for you to be supported and grounded in the cfl community and really claimed as one of theirs oh my gosh well okay i don't that's like it feels so supportive it feels amazing and you don't you don't really realize that a lot like thank you for saying that part of me is like oh my gosh wait am i am i branded with the cfl which is so cool um but I think that it's f a fulfilling feeling because that means that the CFL is is out there and that people are watching and that people are paying attention and that they care. I think that's a reflection, honestly, of the league, of the brand. Um, there's reporters all over the place. We just happen to be, to be um, what's the word I'm looking for? We, we happen to get that amazing duty of getting to cover. It's a privilege to cover it, right? And so it's just really an amazing byproduct that we get recognition of being one of those people that cover it. But I'm just so happy that I get to be a part of it. And I, I hope that continues for years to come. I'm, I'm sure it will. And as you cover it, let's get your takes on some of the big upcoming games this week. The one that jump out to me are the interprovincial battle and the battle of Alberta and the... Battle of provinces, really. Manitoba and Saskatchewan, the Riders, and the Bombers. Let's, let's start with the Banjo Bowl. When you look at that game and the return match and what it means, both in the short and long term for those two clubs, what jumps out to mind? Okay, well, how will the Riders respond after one of their self-admittedly worst performances of the year, um, especially in an incredibly hostile environment? But... If there's anything, and again, I always speak from the riders' perspective because that's kind of my beat, but the Bombers just did it. They had a really good team. We saw that. Andrew Harris is back. Um, so, yeah, how do the riders bounce back? How does Cody Fajardo bounce back after one of his worst performances? Um, that's what sticks out to me there. And the Battle of Alberta. I'm just going to come out and say it. If Calgary loses and goes to 1-5 and five in the West, where currently the other four teams are, are all at 500 or above 
I'm going to say it's a wrap. I'm going to say there's no way they would be able to come back from that deficit after already dropping two games to the Elks. I'm not going to make you basically even even if Bowley by Mitchell comes back. Like let's say so. Let's say it's Jake Mayer and he's still playing great, but then Bowley by Mitchell comes back in whatever we down to week six, week seven. You think it's still like over? Yeah, I do. You, you, but here's the thing: about- you know who they play a whole bunch in week six, seven, eight. I think they've got almost three games against the Riders. And so let's say the Riders lose this upcoming weekend. They're now three and two. Calgary's one and five. But maybe maybe Saskatchewan starts on a slump and then the Stamps rattle a couple wins off there and all of a sudden they're back into it. Like, just look uh, at that scenario, how it plays out. True. The only problem is they'd be playing the Riders, who I think, you know, barring uh, Cody not hitting another goalpost, <laughs> I think it's not crazy to think that the Riders could be undefeated today. That game could have gone either way. And, and Zach threw a couple out of this world balls where you have to drop it in a bucket with an inch of room and he's like yeah i'm gonna do that three times and we're gonna win the football game but you know aside from that i just don't know um if calgary if they drop to one and five spiritually i'd feel like you know it's over never mind but that's just my take no and Please. you know what don't it's at a- claire at me <laughs> stamps it's, fans i will say though they lost that game in winnipeg calgary by like if renee paredes makes that they win the game right and that was just so close so to me when you go home from that game, you're not really like super defeated because you're you were that close in a very hostile environment with a, a relatively new quarterback. But the Elks game, yeah, that's different. I, I don't know. It's gonna be I think Calgary definitely needs to go in there and win to get some of their mojo back, but I'm not gonna go as as extreme as you and saying it's over. It's just looking pretty bleak. Yeah, and to your point, Legio <laughs> uh, 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 misses a kick that would have won it, but penalty they move it yeah. back and he makes that kick that was so, so weird the, yeah honestly right um riders fans obviously uh you know don't love uh penalties at the end when, when <laughs> kicks are about to be made but we we won't get into that we want to end this on a good note thank you for all the work that you do and spending a little bit of time in between your 1800 assignments this week to talk <laughs> cfl football with us donovan thank you so much for having me this is fun Shout out to Claire, who not only three-time U Sports champ, UBC Thunderbirds Hall of Famer, as we heard, was at the Olympics calling games, but one of the smartest CFL minds and a great person covering the league and being an ambassador for our game. If you want to follow her and what she happens to be up to at the time and where she is, Claire Hanna is on Twitter at C-L-A, Hannah, H-A-N-N-A, is the handle. Also a good follow on IG as well. Make sure you give her a follow, especially if you love dog photos or photos of the scenic outdoors because she's really good at taking photos of both. As we move to week six, some housekeeping, the return match, as I stated, Hamilton goes to Toronto. As of this taping, Hamilton, three and a half point favorites in that return match. That's on Friday. Saturday, we've got the doubleheader. Saskatchewan goes to Winnipeg in the Banjo Bowl. Calgary going to Edmonton in that return match. And to finish off the week, Ottawa 
is going to BC as BC comes off the bye looking to stay on track as they've been playing some really good football of late. Before all of that, on Thursday, our neg list comes out. If you've been tracking NFL cuts or maybe where some teams might look to strengthen in the short and long term, the neg list is a good place to find out who your team is interested in. CFL.ca, keep it locked to that. And also, keep it locked to our socials, at CFL, basically on all places where you can find social media on your phone. Give us a follow if you aren't already. Give us a mention and let us know what you think of this podcast and who you want to hear from. Favorite, like, share, subscribe, or all of the things that we ask you kindly to do. We'd really appreciate it. And if you're on your phone or on your tablet, go to CFL.ca. I mentioned Mark's Labor Day weekend. Don Landry has his five takeaways from the Mark's LD weekend. And you're going to have preview content for all of the games coming up this weekend so either way whether you want to look backwards or forwards we got you set thanks for listening the waggle the official podcast of the canadian football league